Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to Hebrews chapter 1. If you want to get ahead, we're going to end up in Romans chapter 12 for a part of our study. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we are learning how Jesus is superior to the angels. It's a significant truth because angels are magnificent, dynamic creatures that many have mistaken over the years as worthy of worship, uh, putting them on the plane of God, but they're not. They are subservient to God. They are less than Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us in our Bible study through the book of Hebrews, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we've repeated this over and over again, and we'll continue to repeat it so that you understand the essence of this book. So many stay away from Hebrews because of the challenging passages within, but we're going to unlock those challenging passages and grasp the bigger picture of what God wants to teach us through Hebrews. Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians. Most of the early church started out with Jewish believers. Jesus Christ himself, a Jewish Messiah, fulfilling the system of Judaism, the old covenant of God, what we refer to as the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains the old covenant of God, what God required with the nation of Israel and anyone that wanted to convert, he required that for relationship. Unfortunately, it turned into religious rituals. Jesus would come on the scene in the perfect timing, and what did he say over and over again? You have heard it said, but I say to you. And he's the very essence of the promise of God of a new covenant, a covenant not of works, but of grace. Even though, even in the old covenant, God was extending grace to a people that didn't deserve it. But this new covenant would be wholly the work of God, that by faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, Messiah, your sins would be forgiven, and the heart that you have of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh, and you would have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, this group that embraced Jesus have been tempted to go backwards toward religion. Why angels? Why the emphasis on angels in chapter 1? Well, remember in the giving of the law from God to Moses, angels were used. Angels were used as a medium of delivery. And so Moses is respected, the law is respected, and angels too were respected, even to the point of being seen more highly than Jesus himself. So the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 let's deal with that right away. And we've been studying this topic of angels for the last few weeks, and it's been fascinating to me. We catch up in verse 7 today from our study last time. But by way of review, we went through three things that we learned in, this, in our study part one, Jesus is superior to angels. So for review, number one, remember we learned that Jesus is greater than the angels because he is deity. In verse 5 it says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten, to you, begotten you? And the answer is, no angels were ever told that because they're not. Jesus is the unique Son of God. He is God himself, deity. Number two, we learn 
that Jesus has a unique father-son relationship. Again in verse 5, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. To which of the angels did God ever say that to? None. And then thirdly, we learn, and this is pretty matter of fact in verse 6, Jesus is superior to the angels because the angels worship Jesus. They're commanded to worship Jesus as God. We come to number 4 today in verse 7. And of the angels, he, speaking of God, says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Here's number four. Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is the maker and angels are made. Mark that word, makes. Angels are made. They're created beings. They're created and controlled by God directly. They're created spirits to serve God in the operation of the universe. Just like wind, just like fire, they are used to serve God and men. But this is not true of Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Angels are created. Jesus is the creator. Now, I want to pause again just to remind you that in our time here in the first chapter of Hebrews, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of teaching that is going to be an aha moment. You go, oh, I didn't know that. Most of it's going to be, of course, Ed, I get it. Of course, angels are made. God made them. Jesus is God. But don't immediately let your guard down as God is reminding you of these important truths. Because there will be people in your life that you're going to need to learn to open the Bible to and say, this is what the Bible says. And so all of Bible study, even though you may not be going, oh, I, I didn't know that, or oh, I didn't know that, the Bible says that we need to be reminded over and over and over again. So a lot of this Bible study just might be a reminder to you, but don't despise the reminders because if you train yourself to despise the reminders, you may miss something super significant in your life. So receive it, and it makes sense. I mean, this one, it makes sense. Jesus is the maker, angels are made. Number five, number five. Jesus is the sovereign master who sits on a throne. Why is he superior to angels? Because he's the sovereign master, sovereign majesty. Notice verse eight. To the son, not to angels, but to the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, this is an incredible verse. Don't miss it. A direct quote from Psalm 45, where the Son, God the Son, is dressed by God the Father, and the Father addresses the Son as God. Please, don't allow people to come to you and say that Jesus isn't God. You take your Bible out, flip out your phone, go to chapter 1 of Hebrews, and it says here that the Son is referred to as God. Right here, this one verse should settle it for everyone, let alone the many others. Now, I do appreciate the, the, the majestic doctrine of the Trinity. You know, we have our knowledge of God because he revealed himself to us. We would not know God unless he chose to reveal himself to us. How did he reveal himself to us? As Trinity. And what is the doctrine of the Trinity? But that is the doctrine that describes the Godhead, that God is one who has revealed himself as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all sharing the same nature, the same character, 
the same being, yet distinct. Now, I want to teach you a theological word that will help you understand this. And, and you, we're going to say it together, and you might want to write it down. Here's the word. Ontologically. Ontologically. Say that with me. Ontologically. Here's it. O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y, or something like that, so you could figure it out. Ontological. Ontologically. This is a fancy theological word that you probably will never use in your life except as it relates to Bible study, but it simply means this, same nature. It speaks of having the same nature, the same value. Let me give you an illustration that you probably can understand. In this room, everyone listening to me on the radio, watching me online, on television, or however you're watching, all of us are divided into two categories, men and women. Two categories, women and men. And together, all of us are ontologically equal. There isn't anyone in here that is better than anyone else. As a man, I'm not better than any of you ladies or any of you men, and vice versa. You are not better than me. You're not more valuable than me. You're not more important than me. And neither am I more valuable or important to you. Why? Because we are all ontologically equal. We're human beings created in the image of God. We are equal in our nature, but very different. Have you noticed that? Men and women, very different. And we can go through a list of differences, but there are many differences. For example, for example, I'll, I'll illustrate a difference just using me. I, as a man, cannot have a baby. It's impossible. I cannot deliver a baby. I cannot have a baby in my womb. I don't have a womb for nine months. And I cannot deliver a baby. And can't you say amen to that? Praise God, men cannot have babies because after the first baby that was born, the guy's going, never again. This hurts too much. And no guy anywhere would ever have a baby. You ladies that have delivered babies, thank you very much. We applaud you. We love you. and We appreciate you. My wife delivering three children. I love her more today than I have in any other time in my life. So listen, listen. Because you ladies have the ability to have a child, that's a difference between us. It doesn't make you any better than us. You're unique. You were created different than us. But it doesn't make you any better than men or men any better than women. It is simply recognizing a distinction and a difference to a group of people that are ontologically equal. All of us are equal. Well, within the Godhead, the Trinity, by the way, we went through a four-part Bible study together as a church on the topic of the Trinity. I encourage you to pick it up. It's on our app, and then we have those little MP3 drives downstairs. We did it in four studies, and we did it the way I believe God would help us to understand it the most. Study number one, we looked at what the Bible had to say about God the Father, how he's revealed. Study number two, we looked at God the Son and how he's revealed. Study number three, we looked at God the Holy Spirit and how he's revealed. And then the final study, we tried to wrap it up all together to give a basic understanding of this doctrine. 
And God has, even though he's revealed himself, he has left some things, he has left some things that, that we don't fully understand. There are parts of God and his character and nature that we don't fully understand, the Trinity being one of them. But, but get this, if you were to fully understand God, then you would be God. And you'll never be God. And there will be mystery surrounding God until we see him face to face. There'll be things that we read that we like, I, I get it, I know what the Bible says, I believe it by faith, uh, and yet I know that there's a fullness of revelation that I'm going to get when I'm in his presence, and the Trinity is one of those doctrines. But we have to train ourselves to allow the Bible to speak for itself, even if we don't fully understand it, even if we don't fully grasp it, and accept that God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts all of the time. We're not going to figure everything out. We're not going to have every answer. We're not going to have some theological system that man created that seems to have an answer for everything. That's not possible. God reserves some things for himself, and he may or may not choose to reveal them to you or me before this side of eternity. So when it says in verse 8 that God speak, God the Father speaks to the Son of his throne, declaring him to be God, is an incredible truth. The Son has a throne that's eternal, forever and ever. Thrones speak of power and authority. The Son has an eternal kingdom that is ruled with the scepter of his own perfect righteousness. The author's point is clear, that Jesus, the Son of God, is not a created servant like the angels, but he himself is the sovereign majesty of the universe who holds all things together by his power. He is God himself who rules and reigns over the universe. Jesus is the one who sits in dignity and dominion over all at the right hand of the Father. Jot it down in John chapter 3, verse 31. Jesus says that he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is above all. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his, speaking of Jesus, his mighty power, the work of his might, which he worked in Christ, the Father's work in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice Jesus is seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. That phrase, principality and power, is a reference to the angelic realm, good and bad. The good angels we call, say it out loud, good angels we call, the bad angels we call, demons, and the head of the bad angels we call, and there's 40 different answers you can have for that. I'd give you A plus on any of them. You could call him Lucifer. You can call him the devil. You can call him Satan. You can call him the accuser of the brethren. You could call him the father of lies. 40 different names this guy has, but they're all evil and wicked. And all the principality and powers it refers to all the spiritual realm of angels, both fallen and good. Angels, is as amazing as they are, are just created beings. They're not God. They function to rush in to do Jesus' bidding because he is God. By the way, as we go through these studies, we're learning a little bit more about angels. Let me give you four more categories of angels that I think would be a good time, just different categories to try to put them all together. First of all, in the Bible, we read of messenger angels, messenger angels, like those that came 
to Abraham, to Jacob, to Daniel, Elizabeth, Mary, they came with a message. Secondly, there are ministering angels. Remember the word minister just means servant. I know in the church, ministers become a title referring to the pastor, but the word in the original language never was intended that way. We are all ministers of the gospel because we're all servants. So there's ministering angels. There are angels that serve. They have a particular service purpose. Remember there were those that came to serve Paul and Peter? They came to care for little children. There are those that serve Jesus in the wilderness, ministering angels. Thirdly, there are martial angels. Martial, they do battle against God's enemies. We see some of them described in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. Fourthly, there are managing angels. These are angels that rule the elements, that have a function and connection with God's creation. And even angels that might be what's considered in God's court, they take down men like they did with Herod. Remember when he blasphemed? So angels are amazing. But the bottom line is this. Angels are only angels. And God is God. Number six. Number six. Why is Jesus greater than the angels? The author says Jesus possesses a spotless integrity. Spotless integrity. Notice verse 9. In this kingdom that he oversees, it's a kingdom of what? Righteousness. Not just rightness. You and I can be involved in rightness. We can do what's right. We can think what's right. Our life can be right. We can do right things. But Jesus is right. That's his very being. He is righteous in all his ways. His actions, his thoughts, everything. He is righteous, sinless. You and I, we can do right, but we also can do wrong. Therefore, we don't possess righteousness in and of ourselves. So this is a problem. This is a problem because the requirement to spend eternity with God who created you, the requirement is righteousness. You could say that's the ticket to heaven. A perfect, righteous life. And so all of us at this point are ticketless when it comes to righteousness because we have failed. The Bible puts it this way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't anyone that gets by that. We've all failed. Big things, small things, huge things. We've all failed. What we call failure, the Bible calls sin. Sin, that word literally means to miss the mark. And it doesn't speak so much to the motive as much as to the issue of sinfulness. Not only that, but, but the reality of sinfulness is that if you've sinned once, that makes you imperfect forever. And on top of that, the Bible declares that because of the, our ancestor dating all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because of Adam's sin, when Adam and Eve had children, and children kept having children, and children kept, they can only have sinful children because they were sinful themselves. You produce yourself. And so this issue of sin has been passed down to every generation. We're not only sinful by nature, we're also sinful by action. And that puts us in a deep problem because if the entrance into relationship with God is righteousness, then what is a person to do? What's a man to do? What's a woman to do? Well. The Bible says, and Jesus himself says, that he's the only way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, so that the righteousness of Jesus can become ours by faith. 
so that our imperfectness is exchanged for his perfection. Our wrongness, if you will, is replaced by his righteousness. Our sinfulness is replaced by his sinlessness. Like, like that's the key, the ticket is not just righteousness. If you want to get down to it, the ticket to heaven is Jesus and faith in him, which requires what? It requires for you and me to humbly tell the truth about our lives. It requires us to acknowledge and admit that we're wrong and God's right which is why many people don't do it. You're just simply unwilling to acknowledge that you're wrong and God's right. You're unwilling to acknowledge that, that you have failed or sinned and are in need of a savior. And yet every day, don't you live with the consequences of sin? Don't you live with the guilt and the shame and the fear and the anxiety? Don't you run away from God in so many different directions because of the weight of the issues in your life. You do. It doesn't take long for you to see that. And all the while, God is inviting you to come, inviting you in, saying, accept my son. He died for you, the perfect for the imperfect. He not only died, but the Bible declares that he rose again the third day. And it's the power of the resurrection that's available to you by faith. The forgiveness of sins eternal life with God. You see, Jesus is, possesses a spotless integrity. It says in verse 9 that he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Those are the two sides to the coin. Integrity comes from loving what's right and hating what's wrong, which is why I asked you to open to Romans chapter 12, because this is something that God gives to us. Jesus' integrity is beyond any question the authority on which he governs is upheld by his flawless integrity and character. His throne is one of righteousness, as is all of heaven. Your faith in Jesus Christ places you under the authority of a righteous king. So notice with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, this instruction we're given as Gentiles, believers in Jesus, he says in verse 9, Romans chapter 12, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, I know we don't use that word abhor. Circle it. It simply means to hate a lot, to despise. Hate what is evil, love what is good, cling to what is good. That, that's the kingdom of God. That men and women that are under the rulership of Jesus Christ will find themselves hating evil more and clinging to good more. And isn't that needed in the dark culture in which we live? Isn't that needed with all the pressure to pull us away from what is good, to pull us away from what is right, to pull us away from that love relationship with our parents, with our friends, with, with, with our family? Like, you gotta, you gotta hold that idea of clinging means to hold on super tight to good. But here's the problem. Maybe it's in your life. Evil is not hated by many in the church today. It's actually embraced. It's applauded. It's in our entertainment. It's in our world, so 
We invite it in through the movies we choose to watch. We invite it in through the music that's in our ears. We invite it in by, you know, the Bible says evil corrupt company corrupts good habits. So we find ourselves hanging around with the wrong people in the wrong places, doing the wrong things. And we don't hate evil. Therefore, we have no desire to cling to what is good. No, instead, pastors are looked to as pontificating and preaching, and who are you to tell me? I'm nobody to tell you. I'm just here to tell you what the Bible says. The instruction for a love that's not hypocritical is to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It's a scepter of righteousness in the hand of Jesus, not compromise. Could it be that the weakness in the church at large today is just this simple truth? You don't hate what is evil. Instead, you invite it in and you support it. You begin to think about it. You begin to think that way. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth that I hate. Now, I know some of you have a hard time with hatred because of the anger issues in your life and what you've been saved from, but God has not given you permission to hate people. That's not what he says. You hate the evil, but not the people. You hate the evil but you look for good in people. You hate the evil, but you cling to what is good. It's evil in this world. Have we become so calloused and insensitive to evil in our own lives because we entertain it? Do we not fear it anymore? Therefore, we don't fear God? Has it just become acceptable? Do do we just laugh it off? I mean, that's how the world is. The world gets you in with a good storyline, with a good, the way the, you know, the, the camera angles, and, and even jokes, you know? There'll be a joke in a movie or something, and you're just like, ha, 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 and then you don't understand. You're laughing at evil. Oh, it's just made up. No, it's not just made up. Evil is evil wherever it is. Where are you with this subtlety? of evil creeping into our lives and not clean to what is good. You see, Jesus, his integrity is so flawless that he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. I'll, I'll illustrate it this way. it only apply to some of you, but you'll get it nonetheless. In our society, in any good society, one of the tools to keep order and, and avoid chaos is the law. The law. It, laws in, in our country are not perfect, so I'm not using this as a perfect one-to-one illustration, but the principle is there. I mean, not all of our laws are righteous. Not all of our laws are right. I, I'll tell you right now, one law that is absolutely unrighteous is this simple fact, that in our country, it is legal to kill a baby in the womb. That is not a righteous law. That does not reflect the heart of God. And there are many others. But for the sake of our illustration, consider the law that affects us, all of us, every day that we're on the road. It's called the speed limit. It's that white and black sign, you know, the one up on the right-hand side that has a number in it. And, and, he, and here's the body of Christ. I've met many people. They don't like the speed limit, and so they take great pleasure in bragging that they don't keep the speed limit. 
Yeah, you know, I speed all the time. Yeah, ha, ha, I got pulled over again. Yeah, ha, I got another ticket. Ha, I, I don't care. You know, it's too, too slow. I have to go faster. And I just like to drive my car. And I got a big engine. And on and on and on and on it goes. All the while justifying that you don't hate lawlessness. You don't hate it. Instead, you're going to rebel against it. Instead, you're going to have a reason. If I made the laws, and then I would move it this way, and we should go faster this way, and you should go faster that way. Praise God in your speeding that a kid didn't dart out from behind a car and you run him over. Praise God. Praise God that while you were speeding, maybe looking at your phone, that you didn't rear in somebody and really hurt and harm them and yourself and your own family. Praise God that while you were making excuses, God has been gracious to you. But that simple attitude, you know, yeah, I speed all the time. You don't hate lawlessness. Yeah, but you know, I don't agree with the law. You don't hate lawlessness. Well, you know, my car's really fast. Get a Yugo or get something else. I don't know. Get a slower car. Get one that's missing a wheel. Ride a bike, whatever. You don't hate lawlessness. And some of you are kind of sensing right now, you're like, oh, that's not me. So, oh, man, I got out of that one. You know, maybe you don't like the rule at work. You don't want to come in on time. You don't think an hour lunch is enough, so you're going to take an hour and a Look, man, there's rebellion. We don't hate lawlessness. We don't hate lawlessness. And so what happens? You're speeding, uh, pulled over, and, and what do you do? You cop an attitude with a cop, pun intended. Oh, I don't like it. And if the police officer wants to be gracious, he will let you go with a warning. If he wants to enforce the law, which is his legal right, he'll write you a ticket. And you'll probably be upset with that. All the while, God's saying, slow down. Listen to me. Slow down. Obey the law. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Don't you think that God is saying that constantly spiritually? I do. We all have areas. I can hear heaven say, slow down. Or maybe not slow down, just be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. Submit. Trust me. I'm God and you're not. I want to bring order in your life. I want to develop you into Christ-likeness. When you don't love righteousness and you don't hate lawlessness, you're not operating in the kingdom of Jesus. You've got your own kingdom, your own little area that you're going to rule and reign over, and you're not, you know, you see, we're citizens of earth and our community and our country and our city. We're citizens on earth, but we're also citizens in heaven. And the priority over every king, every president, every is Jesus Christ. And so his priority says in his kingdom that that scepter of righteousness is in his hand and he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. And so I lay that before you today that the Holy Spirit would use that in our lives, that we might grow more and more into that place, that we would hate what's evil and cling to what is good. Finally, as we leave here today, number seven. By way of review, if you're taking notes, uh, number one is Jesus is the maker. Angels are made. Number, or excuse, that's number four. Number five, Jesus is sovereign majesty who sits on the throne. Number six is Jesus possesses a spotless integrity. And number seven is Jesus is uniquely anointed by God. Notice at the end of verse nine, 
Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God has anointed Jesus Christ. You know, whenever we read of anointing in the Bible, we recognize that anointing adds a spiritual dimension to a man or a woman's service. Anointing's powerful. We even speak of anointing uh, in the book of James. It says, if any one of you is sick among us, let him call the elders. The elders will lay hands on him, anoint him with oil, and pray over him. Pray that there would be healing. So anointing always brings the spiritual into the situation. And it brings the spiritual as oil often represents, the anointing of oil often represents the Holy Spirit's anointing in a person's life. And so you read in the Bible many times of anointing. We we know that Moses anointed Aaron. We know that Samuel anointed David. We know that Elijah anointed Elisha. And just in those examples, we have a priest, a prince, and a prophet anointed by, for office by another man. But Jesus was anointed by God, not another man. And an angels were never anointed. He's superior because he has a unique anointing. No angel's ever been anointed above others as God. No angel's come to earth and secured righteousness for man. Only Jesus, God in human flesh, has accomplished salvation for you and me. Therefore, we must look to Jesus for righteousness and not angels. But on top of all that, I love the end of verse 9. I love this. It encourages my heart, and I hope it encourages you. It says that he's been anointed with the oil. What does your Bible say? The oil of gladness, not sadness. The oil of gladness, not sorrow. Even though Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he was anointed with the oil of gladness. That is one of the characteristics that is unique to a Christian, gladness, joy. Everybody can be happy, but only believers in Christ can have a true joy, that settled happiness. And you go, Ed, how could you say that? The Bible says that, that the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It reminded me of our ministry many years ago in Cairo, Egypt. We were ministering to a small church of believers, very small, maybe 50, 60 believers who had moved to the slums of Cairo. And we connected with them through a brother in the springs and we eventually came alongside Pastor Hisham and served with him until he went home to be with the Lord. And we would take these trips and take teams into the church, and they had this, it, the, where they lived were just these huge apartments of small, small size, and they, sometimes they would, they would combine them together, just, just really put together quickly concrete buildings, and they were as far as the eye could see. I mean, they're just everywhere. You, 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 they were, there were so many, and, and this, was, this was the poorer area, what we would call today the slums of Cairo. And yet in one of the little small units was a group of believers that no matter where they were, what they had or what they didn't have, would come together and worship Jesus Christ. I mean, they were so poor that besides all the things that we brought to them, there was a brother in the church. He's not here today, but there's a brother in the church that in his garage made us these homemade wooden cars to give away to the kids. And we we took a whole bag of these wooden cars, gave them away to the kids, and you would have thought they were made of solid gold. They were so valued, so loved. I mean, they play with them until we left. 
And they loved, it was just a little wooden car that brother made in his garage here. But that wooden car was given in the love of Jesus and they valued it like you wouldn't believe. And as we would gather together, we'd worship in this little room and they'd worship and they'd hit their cymbals and everyone had an instrument. It was just glorious, it was wonderful, it was awesome. And then the noise started in the neighborhood. Because surrounding this little group of 50, 60 believers was surrounded with hundreds of thousands of Muslims. And some were very unhappy with this gathering of worship. And they would take other units that were pointing at the, our little Christian, that little church unit, and they set up mosques. By the last time we went, there were three mosques on each side, and they pointed those big speakers at the church. And it was silent, and it was quiet, until the believers started worshiping. And then they flipped on those speakers and just yelled and screamed. We really don't know what they were saying in Arabic, but louder and louder. And so the believers would worship louder and louder and louder. It was just an amazing sight. Never forget it. All of my life, I can't wait to see them in heaven. But I was curious, because I understand the differences between the religions. I get that. And I understand the tension. But I was curious, why here? The first time we went, there was only one mosque, then two, then three. Why? And so I asked Pastor Hisham, and through a translator, he said, you, you got to understand something, Ed. What's lacking in this community is something that this poor little group of believers has in abundance. And the reason why, why they get them so mad and the reason why they want so many more speakers, and the reason why they try to tear things down and try to break through the roof and try to steal, the reason why they want to wreak havoc and hurt and harm, the reason is, is that the believers in Jesus Christ have joy, and it makes them jealous and mad. You see, Jesus is uniquely anointed by God with the oil of gladness. And anyone by faith in him can enjoy the same. Even when you're unhappy, you can be joyful. Even when circumstances are like all jacked up, you can be joyful. You can be joyful to that. You see, joy is not just like, you know, feeling good. Joy is that settled peace that God is good, that, that he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice. Why? Because he has made me glad. A song that I learned as a new believer burned into my heart. You see, he's been anointed with the oil of gladness more than any of the companions. And it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May joy be yours. It's uniquely given to believers by faith. Oh yeah, everybody can be happy and everybody can seem to, to like life, but only Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, can experience the true joy that's available by faith in him. So Father, as we close our time today, just, I mean, there were some hard things. Like, there's just parts of my life where I know I don't hate lawlessness. And... Um, I'm just asking you, God, to add to my life a, a sense of clinging to what's good and hating what's evil, God. That's where the fear of, of the Lord begins.
And I know in our church, you know, we, so many different people, so many different backgrounds, but a true abiding relationship with you is going to lead to holiness and purity. It's going to lead to uh, a growth in that area, not compromise, not excuses, not reasons, but repentance and humility and brokenness. Forgive us, God, for the weakness of our flesh and, and forgive us for just giving into it too much and enable us to follow you, walk with you. And if you're here today, you never received the righteousness of God. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you that today would be the day of a changed life. If that's you, you'd say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you today. And I want to lead you in a prayer. That today would be the day that you experience the exchange that I spoke of. Your failure for God's perfection. Your sins for Jesus' sinlessness. The promise of eternal life. The promise of joy and peace. The promise of love. True love. And if today you would say, I need and I want to have my sins forgiven, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. That today's the day. God bless you guys. Who else would say, that's me? Over here on the side. And even if I don't see you, don't worry about it. Stay standing because we're going to do something in a minute. And it's okay if I don't see you. Obviously, anyone listening on the radio, I don't see you. God bless you guys here. You're on the internet, I don't see you. But God sees you. That's it. That's the deal. The reality of a relationship with God. I'm not asking you to follow a pastor. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to, to do anything other than submit your life to the God who loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Yeah, the one he anointed with gladness died for you. The, the one that is greater than the angels died for you. The one who's the creator of all things died for you willingly. He came and took on a human body and walked the same streets you walk and ate the food you've ate and experienced the same pain. He, he's, we're going to learn in Hebrews that, that he's not a high priest that's so distant from us that he doesn't know how, our, how we feel. He knows how we feel, yet without sin. I do believe there are more, so we'll wait for you. If that's you, just stand. Let's, let, let's do this. Let's change. Let's see God do a change in your life. It's a humble time, I know. It's a difficult time. You're fighting it. You're wrestling with it because it is religion, you know. It is church, but it's really not. You'll learn that soon enough. You might have had bad examples. You know, I don't want to become like my uncle so-and-so. You don't need to become like anyone. Just live a life that pleases God. And you live the life that pleases God, he actually gives you the power to do that. And so church, go ahead and open your eyes. Look up at me. You guys see some people standing right here. If you would, just get up. If you feel led to lay hands on, there's one over here. Uh, There's there's three right here. Uh, Did I miss anyone? If I did get my attention. So you guys get, get up in this section here and just come on and encourage them. Let them know they're not alone. I know it might feel a little awkward, but I promise you it's not awkward. I promise you that what you're sensing right now is a tangible touch of God through another human being. Uh, you're part of, you become a part of a family. 
the family of this church, but more importantly, the family of God. You become an adopted son or daughter by repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So pray with me, would you? Pray out loud, those of you that responded, even though you're on the radio, uh, pull your car over if you have to. Uh, If you're watching on the internet, just stop what you're doing. God has got your attention, and let's pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. So you could say something like this. Say, Say it after me. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life from today onward to follow you, to live for you, and to experience your love. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past and to turn my life towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.